Thank you. I want to thank the body here and the elders as well for the privilege and the freedom to be able to get out of here for a couple days to take Avery up to Seattle to the children's hospital up there. Um, the elders graciously let me go and then also get, uh, as long as I get my work done. And all of you for the provision, the prayers, um, some of the gifts that you've given that will enable us to do that. With a rare disease like that, it, you kind of have to take that little kid where um, there are people that know what to do with her. And we got up there, and they think that she's been misdiagnosed. She still apparently has the arthrogryposis, which we knew, but there are about 150 different kinds and what we have been told down here and what we thought through our research was that um, she had something called a myoplasia. And about 80% of those kids end up walking someday, which we were excited about. But they don't think that she has that. They think there's a, the symptoms overlap and it's very hard to diagnose, especially because of the lack of research. You know, big name diseases get research money. And uh, the kind of rarer ones don't get the research money. So it's, it's kind of harder to do. Uh, just to give you an example, this one hotshot geneticist started a study on these kids in mid-1970 and they gathered 1,500 children from across the country and found 1,200 of them misdiagnosed. So I give you an idea. Um, they think she has something called arthrogryposis distal type 2E, which is mouthful and doesn't tell us a lot yet, but they're um, sending all of Avery's tests and everything up to this geneticist up in Canada. She's supposed to be the world's expert on this, and then she sees about 100 patients a year, and we're on her books for January. So uh, we're postponing surgeries until they don't want, they don't like to operate until they get a definitive answer from this lady. That's kind of their uh, policy, and we're supportive of that because we don't want to operate if she's not going to walk. You know why put her through that? So thank you for your prayers and. Um, just be in the body of Christ. It's really neat. Well, there's a children's proverb, and I know you all know it. Sticks and stones will break my bones. Words will never hurt me. And that is one of the biggest lies that has ever been told to little kids. I hope you know that. Right? I think of a young woman who went to Dr. David Siemens for counseling. And one of the things that she shared was at the forefront of her mind was the words of her father years and years before. It seems that when she was in high school, she ran for a beauty contest and she lost. And when she came home, her father asked her how the beauty contest went and she informed him that she had not won, to which the father said, quote, well, you know, babe, you can't make a peach out of a potato. True to what God's Word says, and I trust you know this, words go down into the innermost parts of man, and what? They break the bones. Our words, my friends, have the power to destroy. Now, I believe that most of us, hopefully, 
most of us in this assembly don't struggle with giving those kind of words to our children. Because we need to say it, that is utterly stupid to say something like that to another human being. But I would also wager that probably far too many of us struggle with words that we give to others that are spoken in a brief moment of uncontrolled anger. I believe that these are words that you and I have either received from the lips of another as we were growing up or even in today's world or words that have left our lips and we wish we could grab them before they got to the ears of the one that we've spoken them to. And again, I share with you this in a fit, in a moment of uncontrolled anger. And you know the words I'm talking about. You stupid idiot. But like God's word says, there is death and there is life in the power of the tongue. And I hope you know that's as it should be. Because you and I were made in the image of who? God. God is a creator. How did God create in Genesis chapter 1? With his words. He simply spoke and it was so. You and I made in his image are likewise little creators. With the power to create with a spoken word. But because of the fall, our ability to create with the spoken word not only now brings encouragement, which is what we were intended to bring to each other, but our words also bring devastation, murder. And so just like God says, there's death and life in the power of the tongue. And I hope you know, my friends, that it goes beyond the verbal to the physical. In a moment of uncontrolled anger, the anger can flow out of us and we can slap or we can punch with devastating consequences, often to one that we cherish. And our hands, my friends, were never meant for that. Our hands were meant to encourage, to caress, to hold, never to destroy. I have to believe that all of us want to avoid uncontrolled anger because of its devastating consequences. And I hope you heard the key word. What? Uncontrolled anger. Why did we say that last time? We said that because it's not a sin to be angry. And the church sometimes conveys that. And we don't want to do that. The Bible, in fact, says exactly the opposite. In Ephesians 4, it says, be angry. There are times that you and I ought to be angry and we're not angry. Be angry. Just what? Don't sin in the process. And so what we said we were going to do is embark on a study of this thing called uncontrolled anger. And I've been fighting this for years because I know God's been prompting me to do this study, but I didn't want to do it because every time I do a study like this, he puts me through it. And when he puts me through it, I can't stand it because I end up doing things that I don't want to do. Do you, you understand what I mean? But he wants me to experience it so I can really teach it wholeheartedly. Isn't that exciting? So I'm going to do the study, get it over with, and we'll move to something else and hopefully experience a little different in our walk with God. And we said that this is an exhaustive study. There's no way you and I are ever going to exhaust it. So what we were going to do is be very specific, very focused. We're going to focus very simply on the causes of anger. We want to treat the disease. We want to get a cure. 
We don't want to necessarily have to pick up the pieces and deal with the consequences. We've dealt with that in other passages and other studies. We want to deal with curing the thing, getting it at its source. And we said last time that the, there were four main areas that cause uncontrolled anger. And we looked at this one last time. It was the first one. It is the most common one. And it is simply this. You and I lose our cool when our goals get blocked. Blocked goals. We said last time that this is rooted in the lie of Genesis chapter 3 and the temptation that every one of us bought into. In the day that you eat, you shall be as what? God. Now, we said last time, none of us here is going to go around thinking that we're God, right? Right? But we all have that in our flesh. We're all born with flesh. We've all got these faulty belief systems and we're just one step away from acting like God. We run around like little gods. We're all Elohim wannabes. Let's all confess that right now. One of the things that irks me in the body of Christ is people accuse me of being a controller. I'm ready to admit it. The thing that bugs me is the people that accuse me aren't willing to admit that they're controllers. That's what gets me. Amen. Amen. I hear a loud amen. Amen. So let's be like an AA meeting. I had to go to an AA meeting. I had to go to lots of AA meetings, not because I was struggling with that. But because in seminary, they felt that I should go through that. So I went to an AA meeting. You go to an AA meeting. You walk in and you say, hello there. And they say, well, who are you? And you say, hi, my name is Frank. And the whole group goes, hello, Frank. See? And you say, when you introduce yourself, hi, my name's Frank and I am an alcoholic. Do you understand how that works in AA? You've got to first admit the problem before you can ever get to a cure, right? So let's admit the problem. Everybody in unison will say, hello, I am a controller. Hello, controllers. Okay, we all got that blocked goals. The problem is, problem is, as we get older in our life, we get controller and he marries another controller, a little God that marries another little God. And what's the key question? Who's going to be God? Right. And we had to get this settled in our relationship. You better believe it. (laughs) Janet's not here. We're going to speak freely today. The problem is that we are not God. We are not omnipotent. We are not omnipresent. We're not omniscient. We don't know everything. We're not all-powerful. We cannot control the world. God is a controller, and he's able to be a controller because he's qualified for the job. How many of you know that? You and I are not qualified to be controllers because we're not qualified for the job. And so what happens is we lack the ability to control our world. That leads to block goals, and the block goals leads to uncontrolled anger. And every one of us struggles with the potential for this. Do you all understand that? We talked about last time, you know, sitting at a, at a, at a light or at a, in a street, ready to turn left, and somebody coming this way, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and then turn without giving a signal. That's a blocked goal. Because you have to sit there for a while. Checkout lines, all this sort of thing. And we shared with you some circumstances from my life, and we all had a great bit of laughter at my expense. I hope you enjoy that. In fact, Sandy informed me that was one of the highest tape orders we've ever had. It really concerns me about all of you. I'm wondering what you're going to do with the information on tape. I share with you the one circumstance about distributed doo-doo. You remember that? I forgot to share this with you last time, but during Sunday school it came out. Somebody said, you know, you ought to... Too bad you didn't have the video going. You could have sent that into Funniest Home Videos. Believe me, my children already thought about that. They've been bugging me for years to reenact the event. I tell them I don't want to try to reenact the event because it will probably take several takes. And I don't want to continue to go through that. Well, today we're going to look at a less common, but a very powerful cause of uncontrolled anger. And I have little doubt that many of you struggle with it. 
And I have no doubt that all of us have the potential to struggle with it. And what this is, is very simply what we're going to call trauma times. Trauma times. But before we look at this, I think we need to pray that Father would open our eyes and our hearts and be our teacher. Would you do that with me? Our Father, it's good to laugh and we like to laugh. We believe that you've given us a a sense of humor. We believe that you too have a sense of humor. After all, you made us. But Father, there are also times to focus in on some serious issues and gain understanding so that we can change the way that we live. Because every one of us knows deep down in our hearts that we need to change the way we live because of the devastation that we bring to those that we love. And we don't want to do that. We want to love. We don't want to devastate. So I pray that you'd capture our hearts and our minds and be the teacher and that you, by the power of your spirit, would be the agent of change in every one of us. That we'd walk out of here with the ability to love and the ability to root out anger that would be uncontrolled deep in our soul. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, beloved, before we examine what we mean by trauma times, we need to gain a handle on how people work emotionally. So I want to give you a bit of revelation this morning. We must understand how people work emotionally, and the revelation will be found on another overhead. Did you know that we cannot control our emotions? You might want to write that down. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not. But we do not have the ability within us to control our emotions. In fact, I'll take it a step further and put it this way. Nowhere does the Word of God call us to change our emotions. There is not one time in this book that we are called to change the way we feel. We are not told, don't be angry. In fact, it's quite the opposite. What are we called to do? Be angry, but what? Don't sin. Now, I'll give people this. The Word of God does say, fear not. But when you look closely at the context of every one of the times that it says, fear not, it is not so much calling us to not feel fear, but it is calling us to not act on the fear that we feel. Don't run. In most of those passages, stand your ground, set your eyes on your God and live victoriously in the midst of the fear that you're feeling. That's really the issue. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. I believe that it would be nothing less than cruel and sadistic for God to give us feelings and then tell us not to feel them. That would be tantamount to taking a piece of candy and putting it in front of a kid and saying, don't eat it. Which one of you would do that, with the exception of Steve Wilson, which one of you would do that to a child? Put a piece of candy in front of the kid 24 hours a day and say, don't eat this. You wouldn't do that to a child, would you? No, you would just set a child on its legs that can't walk and pull your hands away. Morgan, to this day, glares at him. (laughs) That's the key, my friends. 
Neither would God do that to his children. Nowhere are we told to control our emotions, and that's because we cannot control them. Our emotions do not come with an on-off switch, like the light switch that is here in this room. Now, let's not just take my word for it. Let's, in fact, illustrate it. Robbie Wilson, would you stand up, please, for a minute? We need a guinea pig here. Come over here, brother. Okay, now you can just stare here at me. Now, I want you... Ready? Are you ready? You sure? You don't sound very confident. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, that's better. Pray for this man. I want you... Are you ready? Yes. To be sad. Be sad, Robbie. Come on, be sad. Be sad, Robbie. Robbie, be sad. Come on, start crying, Robbie. Robbie, be sad. Come on, Robbie, be sad. Robbie, be sad. What's the matter, Robbie? Robbie lacks the ability, my friends, to be sad. He lacks the ability... No, don't, I'm not done with you yet. He lacks the ability to switch the switch and become sad. But if I said something like this, Robbie, I want you to be sad. And I'm going to give you five minutes to do it, my friend. Take as much time. Go ahead. Make yourself sad. My friends, I wager that Robbie would be able to do it. How would you do it? Think about something. Did you hear it? Now you can be sit down. What did he say? Think about something sad. My friends, that is the issue in the Word of God. That is the issue with human beings. We are not called to change the way we feel, but throughout the Word of God, we are called to change our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Set your mind on things above. That's the charge from the Word of God. Isaiah, thou will keep him in perfect peace. Finish the rest of the phrase. Whose mind is fixed on thee. Beloved, here's the key. Our emotions follow what we set our mind on. Philippians chapter 4, whatever is pure, lovely, holy, honorable, right, just, all that. Set your mind on these things and the God of peace will be with you. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks within himself, what? So he is. Now, beloved, nobody has done this better than Bill Gillum, so we're going to steal it from him, but give him the credit for it. He says, basically, our minds, let's give them a Richter scale of a 1 to 10. Let's give our emotions a Richter scale of 1 to 10. And we said that nowhere are we called in the Word of God to change the way we feel. But what we are called to do is to change what we set our minds on, and our emotions will follow what we set our mind on. Let's give us a little illustration. This came from Bill. You and I are walking down the path, and you and I are having a great time out in the woods hiking, and all of a sudden there's a rattlesnake in the path, and instantly what does the mind do? It goes from 1 to 10, and it says, Danger! And instantly in our emotions, what do our emotions do? From 1 to 10, it's fear. Right? That's the appropriate response to danger. I happen to look, being an expert on snakes, and I see... Well, I deal with them all the time. Um, <laughs> whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> Sometimes we just think these thoughts. <laughs> There's this snake, and I look, and I see that it's rubber. It's a fake rattlesnake. So I reach down, and I pick it up, and instantly in my mind, and in your mind, what happens? We go from ten down to one. We know that it's a fake rattlesnake. But what do our emotions do? Do they go bang right back down to one? No, they sink down very slowly. Bill says like a BB sinking in oil. It's Oklahoma. You know, you had to be there. 
Like molasses, real heavy molasses coming out of a bottle, you know, real, real slow. And that's the way, in fact, if I took the rubber rattlesnake and went like that at you, you'd jump out of your skin, right? Because you're still up there. A half an hour later, your blood pressure is still up. Your heart's still a little high. You see what's happening? It's coming down, and about a half hour later, we're sitting at level five. By that time, we're home. We go into your house. We sit down at the couch, and a black widow spider crawls up our arm. And what do we do? Bang, danger, bang, fear, right back again. And do you see what happened? We only got to five and shot back up to ten. Now, my friends, here's the key question. What would happen to you and I if we lived in a world where our dad was a rattlesnake? <laughs> Can you relate to this, Mr. Lloyd? Do you need to share some personal... <laughs> And what if our mama was a negative, critical spider? Do you have any comments on that one, son? No? And your teacher was a grizzly bear. <laughs> well, the kids really like this today. And you had some classmates at school that were lions and tigers. What would happen? Do you see that you'd constantly be going down in your emotions to level five? And you'd never get below there because you'd be shooting back up again because the lions and the tigers and the bears and the rattlesnakes would constantly be attacking you. You'd go down to five and shoot right back up. You'd never get below that. And what would you start to call five? Normal. You'd start to call a five your one. And this is what happens. This is what we mean by past trauma times. They can cripple our emotions and we end up playing with half a deck emotionally. Now, when you and I in our culture talk about people that play with half a deck, what are we talking about? What? Intelligence. It took you a little while to get that out, Steve. You're familiar with this. Yeah, we talk about, see, we talk about this all the time, people that play with half a deck intellectually. But in our culture, my friends, we have neglected humanity that plays with half a deck emotionally. And we dare not do that in the body of Christ. Because we've already seen that the devastation that can come from uncontrolled anger is very serious stuff. So let me illustrate to you how this would happen with, with a lady or a, or a man. But let's, let's use a mama. Don't have my pins. We'll change her. Imagine some hair on that girl right here. What happens is we've got these critical negative things happening into her life. She's got a mama that's critical and negative. She's got a dad that's abusive physically and verbally. And this is what she grows up with. And it hits her, and so her emotions are constantly doing this thing, and so she gets stuck at a level five. Why is that so serious? Well, because now she has little kids. And how many of you know that little kids don't always do it right? That little kids are constantly going to be blocking mom and dad's goal. What she does is parade this into the present and she's stuck here at level five. And let's, let's take an event. Let's take a circumstance. Let's take a blocked goal. Mama has poured milk for the child. Mama is anticipating that the child is going to drink the glass of milk. Right? That's the goal. But the little child spills the milk. Now, how big of an event is spilled milk? A one or a two. Right? No big deal. Now, if mama were playing with a full deck emotionally, she starts off at level one, and we add a one or a two, she's going to play at a two or a three. And what does a two or three look like? 
In fact, let's just use Bruce here. I'll be the mother. Oh, oh, Bruce, you, you, you spilled the milk, son. You need to be a... <laughs> Were you always a rebellious child? <laughs> he stuck his tongue out at me when I did that. <laughs> well, Bruce, little Brucey, let, let's get you another glass and let's be more careful in the future. See, and this is how we would handle it at a two or a three. But since Mama's playing with a five, spilled milk, or a six, and spilled milk is a one or a two, what does she do? She goes from six to eight, somewhere in there. Well, what does six to eight look like? Bruce! How could you do that? Don't you do anything right? See, and this is what we do, and it's rage. And what does little Brucey think? Wow, Mom really is concerned about milk. If that's what you think, you don't know kids very well. Kids are the most selfish critters on planet Earth. Right? <laughs> Everything in the world revolves around who? Them. They're not thinking mom during this spilled milk episode. They're thinking me. And it goes something like this inside them. I must be a real jerk. I'm such a stupid idiot. I mean, I, I must be wicked to have caused mom to act like this. And they internalize it. That, that's when it's a little kid. But what happens is as the little kid gets older, they become more, more aware of the world around them. And then when mom rages at them, you know what they do? They rage back. And they'll cuss out mom with some expletives. And they'll give the rage back. Because in this world, there is a law that you can only give what you have. And that's what they've had. And this is how it happens. And it's extremely dangerous in this world we live in. I know this, my friends, because I grew up with this. I grew up in a home with a, a rageaholic. An alcoholic rageaholic. And I knew what it was like to have the, the verbal barrage of names and the hate-filled looks and the physical abuse as well. And I grew up with an inferiority shame orientation. And by God, that's not what I was made for. And I knew that deep down, so I tried to crawl out of it. There's a problem trying to crawl out of it when you go to the world that's bigger than you called school. And you find out that you're one of the smallest kids in school. There are a lot of other kids out there that will bully you down and try to keep you from crawling out. And you've got two choices at that point. You either go passive and try to protect yourself like a little turtle. Or you become a rageaholic, berserkaholic yourself. Because it works. See? It keeps people away from you. And that's what I did. I became a rageaholic berserk on this crazy person. And I transferred that to athletics because that kind of behavior works on the athletic field. I'll tell you how bad this was when a friend of my dad, after I became a Christian, a friend of my dad came to me and he said, Tell me, is it true? And I said, What? He said, That you've become a priest or something? Is you, you went to God's school? <laughs> And I said, yeah, 
Yeah, it's true. And he said, oh, my God. He said, I had to hear it for myself. As I heard it, but I didn't believe it. And I said, well, why not? He said, because you were the most godless player I'd ever seen on an athletic field. See, people can see it. And it's ugly. It really is ugly. And then when you allow people close into your life, you don't want to be like that because you know you destroy them. I'll tell you, one of the things that endeared me to Janet, endeared me to Janet, endeared Janet to me, it captured my heart for her, was shortly after we met, she said this to me. She said, you're such a little lamb. That was so cool. You know why? She had seen a gentleness that nobody had seen for a lot of years. And I wanted to be that kind of person to her. And so I began to learn how to abide in Christ and beat this thing. You see, this is how do we beat this thing? That's the key. You know, it's one thing to find out that you do it, but it's another thing to to find out how to beat it. And we said last time that people accuse us here at Quail Ridge Church of teaching the same message every week with a different passage or a different application. And what did we say to our accusers? You're exactly right, thank you. Because the cure is the new covenant. The cure is Jesus in us. And what is the new covenant? That you and I have died in Christ. We've been put on the cross with him. He is now our life. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are the branches. He is the vine. And you and I have got to abide in him so that his life can flow through us. His is a life of power. His is a life of love and gentleness and patience and meekness and kindness. And you and I cannot duplicate that, my friends. I hear it in churches. I heard it for years. I taught it for years. Go be loving. Go be gentle. Go be kind. And you know what that is? It's called plastic fruit. It looks just like the real thing. But what happens to plastic fruit when you put it in a vice? What do you get out of it? Wax. Nothing. But you take a real orange and you put it in a vice and what do you get out of it when you squeeze it? You get orange juice. And see, that, that whole thing of imitate God, that's what it is. It's right out of Genesis 3 in the line of the garden. You and I can't control our anger that way. The only way to control anger is to bite in Jesus Christ and let his life, which is naturally loving, kind, and gentle, flow through you. And people will see that too. I had a lady come to Janet in, Jello, in Delaware and she said, you know, Frank talked about him being angry and I don't see that. Was he an angry person? And she said, oh yeah, he was an angry person, but he's not anymore. It's because of the life of Christ. As you and I abide, we learn what it means to be saved. The word is sozo. And we have used the term incorrectly in the church. Are you saved, brother? What do we mean by that most times? Are you going to heaven? We've made it an issue of destination. I'm saved. One day I get to go to heaven. But that's not the meaning of the word. The word sozo means to be made whole. I like that definition, don't you? I can really relish now in saying, I am saved. I'm in the process of being made whole. 
where at a moment of time, any moment of time in this world, at a moment of abiding, I am being saved by the life of Jesus Christ. Saved from myself. Saved from my ugliness. Saved from the temper that comes from block goals. Saved from the ugly cruelty that comes from having stuck emotions in the past. You see how that works? Romans 5, 9, one of the most neglected verses in the entire Bible. Having been justified by his death, tense, past, how much more so shall we be saved by his life? It is his death that saves us from our sin, but it is his life that saves us from ourselves. And that's glorious. Because as we learn to abide and appropriate the new covenant, what happens is those emotions begin to drop. We say, I have died in Christ. I am now alive in Christ. I am forgiven of everything. I have forgiven those that have offended me. And we'll have a lot to say on that issue of forgiveness next week when we look at emotions again. And what happens is those emotions begin to come down, just like with the rattlesnake story. It's a rubber rattlesnake. It's a rubber rattlesnake. He's not real. He cannot hurt me. What happens to the emotions? They come down and down and down. It's a slow process and it takes time. And a lot of us have got to begin to renew our mind with the truth of the new covenant so that our stuck emotions from the past events of our lives, they can begin to come down. Because we don't want to minister out of level five, six, seven, or eight, do we? We want to tackle life out of down there at level one. And why is that? Because it's not just an issue of the past, it's an issue of the present. That's right. Present trauma times. And if you don't have them right now, my friends, guess what? You're going to. Because you were made to live in a garden paradise. And how many of you know this isn't it? You were made to live in a paradise where there was no sin. I, I can't even imagine this. I mean, the truth of, of God's word is greater than any science fiction. Can you imagine a world with no sin? No selfishness, no hatred, no enmity, no death, no sickness. I, I can't even understand it. Because we're born into this mess, this, this cesspool that we live in. And so what happens is, even though you may lick this thing in terms of your past, you and I have the potential to face it again in the present. And I've got to be honest with you here today. This is where I am. The last ten months have been just hell. <laughs> you know, as you face the illnesses, the doctors, the bills, the, the unknowing, the uncertainty, and then just add to that all the rest of normal life. I have found that my emotions have shot back up again. And I'm sitting here at about level eight and spilled milk becomes a raging issue. And I've chomped at my kids and I've chomped at my bride. And I drive down the road and the guy doesn't give the signal and I'm ready to rip his head off. You know what I'm saying? Oh, please don't be honest, Frank. We'd much rather have the facade of good Christianity. I... <laughs> I'm okay, you're okay. You know, it's great philosophy in the modern church. Now, this is reality. And I don't like it. But this is what every one of us faces. And I've got to tell you that it's hard work. I hear this phrase leveled against New Covenant teaching. It's just easy believism. 
Man, there is nothing harder in this world than living by faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing harder than saying, no, I can't. I must depend completely on him because I lack the resources. I lack the ability to be gentle at a time like we're facing right now. I lack the ability to be strong and patient and and kind and all of that right now. But praise God, here's the key. As the world is the world to us, at the same time, in just the moment of dependent faith, Jesus can be everything that Jesus is to us at the same time. And when I blow it and snap at the kids or snap at my wife, which if they were here today, they could testify, but I kept them home for that reason. I have to go back to them and say, I am so wrong to have snapped at you like that. Because there is no excuse. I cannot go to them and say, but... Ben, I snapped at you, but please understand, you know, this thing with Avery and the, and the bills and the, the overdose and now the haggling and, and all this stuff. You see, so you understand why I snapped at you, son. I mean, that's not going to cut it to that little mind. Because I'm his dad and dad is supposed to love and nurture and be gentle and kind. And so the only thing that will cut it is to say, my son, I was wrong. I chose at that moment to not abide now, you're being mean to your sister was wrong. And you needed to be disciplined. And I, I should have disciplined you correctly, but I did it incorrectly. You see that? And so, will you please forgive me? And I just find myself having to ask for that a lot lately. But please understand that's whose fault? It's mine. Because Jesus stands available with his overcoming life to you and I at the moment we choose to depend on him. And at the moment you choose to not depend, you are left to your own resources. It's that simple. Jesus made a very powerful statement in John 16, which we'll get to in a few years. As he was preparing to leave his disciples, these were his parting words. In the world, you will have tribulation. Isn't that exciting? But then what did he say? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he offers us that overcoming life at the moment of faith. And I tell you, because I've experienced it, you can overcome your past. God does not intend to you for you to wallow in defeat over your past. He intends that past to be a tool in your life to lead you to dependence upon Him so you can live victoriously. And Jesus will overcome your present too. If you choose to abide. Father. I pray that each one of us here. Will walk out of here recognizing today that we live in a in a tough place. There's potential pain and setback and loss at, at every corner.
And the key is not so much to insulate ourselves from that or try to insulate ourselves from that because we can't. We lack the ability. The key is to keep our eyes fixed on you because when they're fixed on you, we will find you to be all that you are to us. And you will provide what the moment needs to not only be able to survive, but to be able to live victoriously. Experiencing your love and giving that same love to all who come in contact with our lives. So, Father, as always here at Quail Ridge, as in your new covenant, may it be that the central issue is always the Jesus who lives. Not the Jesus who died, but the Jesus who lives inside of us by faith. Thank you for the glorious new covenant that you've established in him. For truly he is our hope of glory. Not only in the life to come, but in the life that we live right now. The glory of being able to be patient and kind and loving especially to those that we love the most. Our spouses and our babies. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I hope every one of you walks out of here with a great big lump of conviction on your shoulders. Because there is no excuse beating up your babies and your bride and your hubby. Jesus' life is an overcoming life. Amen?